welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. A hungry author is someone who is, quite simply, hungry for it. They're willing to do what it takes to achieve their writing dreams. If that resonates, you're in the right place. I'm Ariel. And I'm Liz. We're two book coaches, editors, and writers here to help you get there. We interview experts and chat about all things publishing and writing to educate and build a community of successful writers, whatever that means to you. Welcome. Let's get started. All right. Hi, everyone. We're so excited to have Zibby Owens on the podcast today. Zibby, welcome to Hungry Authors. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we are thrilled. So for those of you who don't already listen to your podcast or read Zibby Mag or know about all of the amazing things that you've got going on, can you just give us like the quick rundown of Zibby Owens? I would love to. Um, okay. Well, I am an author. That's usually like the last thing I say, but I am most proud of that. I had a memoir come out in July of 2022. What year is it now? <laughs> yeah, July of 2022 called Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, which took me basically 20 years to get published in various iterations. Um, I have a children's book called Princess Charming and two anthologies that I edited. And I have my first novel coming out in March of 2024. So I'm really excited about all of that. So that's like my side thing at the moment. Um, I also started a media company called Zibby Media. And it started, it didn't start as a media company. Um, it started with my podcast. So uh, in 2018, I started Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I started doing it once a week, interviewing authors. And in March of 2020, I started it, uh, I picked up the pace to seven days a week. And I have not missed a day since then. I am so tired. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did five <laughs> podcast interviews yesterday. I'm doing four today. I did two the day before. This is a crazy week. Uh, but anyway, I love it. I love podcasting so much. I wonder if you both feel the same. I love getting to know people and talking mm -hmm. about books and books are really just a way to talk about life. So I don't know. Yeah. Earlier today, I started asking some author. I'm like, well, what do you like to eat? I feel like you're like an orange type person. And I'm like, what am I talking about? But anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, I love my podcast. Moms don't have time to read books. 30 minutes, seven days a week. And that led to so many other things. Uh, I originally started a salon series, which became my virtual book club which now has thousands of members and I'm starting local chapters everywhere, which is another big priority for Zibby's book club, zibbysbookclub.com. Uh, I started a publishing company, which also takes up a ton of time called Zibby Books. We uh, publish a book a month in fiction and memoir. Our first book came out in this, this February, but we started the company in July of 2021. So it takes a while. I'm literally at the launch event. Some, some guy like picked up the book and he's like, oh my gosh, you're like really publishing books. I'm like, yeah. I really am. So we have a full on publishing company, publishing house. And uh, we have our, we just set our whole schedule for 2024 and it's so good. So now I have to figure out how to communicate that to everybody in the world. But so that's the publishing company. And we're, I started that because I had talked to so many authors about their thoughts on the publishing industry. And I thought, well, maybe I could do this differently and 
try new things and come at it with a fresh point of view. Um, so it's an uphill battle uh, with so many established players, but I keep telling myself, you know, on sneakers, just like burst onto the scene. I bet Nike, you know, didn't see that coming. So anyway, other there are other disruptors out there. So I'm, I'm trying not to give up. No, I'm kidding. It's really fun. And actually our first book, uh, my What If Year, uh, is doing great and it's like literally in the middle of like TV negotiations and we have so much exciting stuff. So that's great. Um, so that takes a lot of time. And then we have Zibby Mag, which I, I'm, I also love. Uh, it started as we found time during the pandemic and then became Moms Don't Have Time to Write. And now it's called Zibby Mag and it's up for a Webby Award. But I don't know when this is airing. Voting closes April 20th. If you're not doing anything as you listen to this and can vote, uh, we are we were in third place until I begged everyone to vote a couple of days ago. Now we're in first place, but by only 1%. So it's a, a heated battle. So anyway, honored to be nominated, but really want to win. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, and that's a literary lifestyle destination. And we have roundups by authors, essays by authors, um, gift guides, uh, book, book, my favorite picks of each season and so much more. So that's great. We have a weekly uh, roundup newsletter for that that goes out on Wednesdays, but it's updated throughout the week. Uh, just curated content, not too much uh, because how much can people really read? So that's Zibby Mag. We're doing retreats. Uh, I'm saying quarterly, but we'll see if we can pull this off. We had one already in the Hamptons. We have one in Charleston, April 28th. We are doing one in Miami around the Miami Book Fair. We're doing one in September. Uh, in the in the Santa Barbara wine country, and we focus on a couple of the Zibby books that we publish, but also just bring people together because community is the heart of everything we're doing. I have a bookstore in Santa Monica called Zibby's Bookshop, which I launched also in February, which is doing great, and I love it. And we have events all the time, and I curated it in a whole new way, along with um, Diana Tramontano and Sherry Puzzi, my partners in that, um, so that people could find books based on topic and and emotion and by type of person and all these different ways because it's hard to find books and so it's all about discoverability mm -hmm. and we offer we have an education platform called zibi classes this is a whole podcast you shouldn't have asked me this zibi classes <laughs> um where we have semester-long classes, workshops, and things like that. That's run by Darcy Goring, zibbyclasses.com. We have a bunch of events. Last night, I went to the Life of Pi. We tried to organize a group setting there, and I brought my kids, which was a huge mistake. And like, oh my gosh, we had to leave before intermission, and it was mortifying. But anyway, we do events. And um, am I forgetting anything? Oh, and then like Zippy Audio for the podcast. We also have other podcasts, um, started a podcast network, um, but we're really f honing in on the, the most successful of those, which is Sex Talk with Tracy and Kelsey and my own podcast and uh, Alicia Fernandez Miranda's Quit Your Day Job. And we had Ask a Librarian and some other podcasts. Um, you know, that's basically what I'm doing. And I, yeah. have, four, I have four kids and uh, I post on Instagram too much at Zibby Owens and that takes up a lot of time and uh, <laughs> I write essays and roundups. Oh, I, I'm a contributor to Good Morning America. So I write up their book lists mm. every month. Let's start with your publishing house. Yeah. So you are doing traditional publishing, um, fiction, memoir, and you mentioned it was sort of born out of some gripes with what's going on in traditional publishing today, whether they're your own or what you've just been hearing with others. Tell us about that and how potentially like what those problems are and what your 
like specific approaches. Yeah. Well, as I'm sure you have heard on this podcast before, and um, I know have experienced probably in some way, shape or form, but it is very hard for books to break out. And a lot of authors uh, feel that if they are not frontlist authors getting the big, you know, roll out the red carpet treatment from the publisher, that it's very hard to get their book discovered, to get their book sold, but also not even about sales, just like read. People just want their books to be read. They want to get out there and meet people. Um, and they just want to feel valued and important because as an author, I know how much time and heart and soul and everything goes into a book. And when it comes out, it's a big deal for the author. And um, the publishing companies, by no fault of the people working there, it's not a personal thing. It's systemic. They're churning out books, trying to make a profit, and it's and it's and they have to prioritize this book over that book. And so the emotional effect on authors is not great. We can't necessarily change what happens when a book hits the marketplace, right? It sort of has a life of its own. Some books you don't expect take off, others that you do expect don't. And, you know, readership is hard to it's hard to get anyone's attention and all of that. So one thing that I really wanted to do which I do feel like we've been really successful doing is making our authors feel very important and very, I wanted to say very loved because I really mean that we send flowers. We, you know, I'm emailing and texting with them all. Like it is a very personal thing with us. And um, we also create a huge sense of community among our authors, which I think is something everybody should be doing. So I love have, that, you know, events where we bring our authors together. We're constantly tonight I'm going to a bookseller dinner where three of the authors are going to be. We did a big retreat. People told me I was crazy. Like, I want to take all the authors and all the team away for two nights. And everyone's like, what? And it was so important and so amazing. Yeah. And I need to schedule the next one because people want to connect and authors are do so much alone. And the act of launching a book is emotional and also isolating. And now they have a whole team of people who care. And it's not just about having a group that will like each other's Instagram posts. It's literally having a team in your corner and, and doing it sort of as a class as opposed to as an individual. Um, and so that's one thing that I really wanted to do. And then there are other things like we have a network of 900 ambassadors all over the country who help us when our books come out and post and, and, you know, are engaged and talk to their bookshops and all that kind of stuff. So that helps. And we do brand partnerships for each book. So we had a huge partnership for our book, Women Are the Fiercest Creatures with Citizens of Humanity. They made a custom t-shirt and a tote bag and did events with us. And it was amazing and sent to all their influencers. And, um, you know, we have some exciting partnerships down the line for other books. And so I think brands being a part of books is also really important. Um, we distribute traditionally, we have like a regular distributor through Ingram, um, but also reaching out directly to different bookstores, even though they tell me not to do that, and getting to know people in the industry and um, uh, getting our authors connected to well-established authors, um, either as like an individual book champion or just for advice. So we have an advisory board of authors, we have an advisory board of indie booksellers, um, and we we, we make sure our books are all sort of of a piece, even our covers. Um, they're not the same, but they do have similar elements, um, you know, on the spine and this and that, so you can identify them. But, uh, you know, our books all have a strong sense of voice and place, uh, propulsive narratives and beautiful writing. Those are the things we look for. 
on our editorial team. Everyone has to love a book. I just loved a book the other day and I was the only one. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, then that's not the book for us because our whole team has to get behind it. So we work around my dining room table. We are all, we have a company of all women except for Jordan, who's awesome, um, who I've known forever. And uh, everybody else is a woman. Uh, all our authors are women. It's very supportive, collaborative. There is no competition here. We are all on the wow. same team and, um, you know, rowing together. So it doesn't mean that we're necessarily getting there faster, winning any races, but we're having a great time. And I think with all of that goodwill over time, it will prove to be a better model. So uh, yeah. that's what we're doing. I, I love all of that. I mean, that idea, especially of just fostering community amongst authors that is so undervalued. And I do wish that more publishers really took the time to do that. There's so much that is added to the experience. My um, former boss started something similar at the publishing company that I worked with. And I kind of continued it on after he retired, where we just got everyone together, all of the authors on our list, you know, in a zoom room every month. And even that alone, I mean, what you're talking about is taking that way further to the next level. And I'm sure you see some incredible collaborations coming out of it that helps them with marketing their book. I mean, all of those connections are so, so valuable, especially in that traditional publishing space. And it's so cool to me too, that the fact that you started a traditional publishing company, like you used that model, because we know a lot of people who are starting hybrid publishing companies or assisted self-publishing companies. And obviously there's, you know, benefits to those business models, but the fact that, you know, I love that you kind of retained this, like pure sense of like, we're going to do like, we're going to do this, right. We're going to hold to this ideal world of what publishing should be and go after that with everything that we can foster that community amongst our authors. And I'm sure that comes with a lot of like, you know, angst too, of trying to like maintain that vision. Um, how, how does it work out with, um, like with your acquisitions process? Cause I'm sure it's hard to make a lot of those choices. Tell us about like how you think about acquisitions then. Yeah. I love our editorial team so much. We have weekly zooms where we talk about all the books. Um, people are assigned different books. We go through even what the books are about. We have a very narrow, um, like we are looking for something very specific. We only do contemporary upmarket sort of mm. commercial and literary fiction, not mm -hmm. too literary either. Like, I mean, literary beautiful, but not like a novel about like, you know, a snake that, that goes <laughs> to the grass or something. I don't know. So, you know, very accessible. We, we don't want to intimidate anyone with our books. We want them like you want to dive into all of them. Um, so I think it's very easy to say, no, we don't do historical fiction. We don't do this, that, or the other thing. So it's very, very narrow what we're looking for. And so when we go through the week's pitches, you know, a lot of times we'll just say no right away when the agent pitches, because it's just not what we're looking for. And then we go through, we assign the books, we all read the books. Um, there's usually one of our editors or readers assigned as like the primary. And if it's, if it's good, like even if you just started and it's good, we will all get an email like this one's really good. Like who can jump on and then more people read it. Um, uh, and we, again, we all have to love it. And then we meet with the author. We've met with a few authors without making bids. I hate doing that because once I had a meeting with a publisher and then they didn't make an offer and I was like, why did you get my, my hopes up like that? So I try not to do that, but um, you know, sometimes we have to do that to get to know the author. And also because I, I have to, 
it's a certain type of person who wants to be involved in a company like ours. And, uh, you know, I, I have to get to know them, especially like we're, it's a huge investment in so many ways, emotional, financial, just everything. And um, so we have to get to know the authors. Most times we meet with authors, we end up acquiring, but not all. And some mm -hmm. are like really on the cusp of what we want and some are too similar and you know how it goes. It's like some are, but there have been some very, very close calls. Um, but the books that we have gotten, we are so excited about. Um, and I think as time has gone on in the beginning, you know, our books now that are coming out, we acquired so long ago, we didn't even really have a company. So, um, and I started the company with a woman named Lee Newman, who's wonderful. And, uh, but she and I had slightly different tastes. And so if one of us loved it, we, we had like, now we have it down, right? So when for 2024, like everybody on the team now has been there to acquire all those books and we are so excited and, and most, and, and a lot of the second half of this year as well. Not that we don't love these books. It's just our current team has acquired all the books for next year. Um, and, uh, you know, I know you were talking earlier about how you, nonfiction and a lot of listeners here focus on nonfiction and we do memoir. I love memoir. I love fiction too, but mm -hmm. I love memoir. Um, I mean, actually, I guess I like them. I, I don't know. I think I like memoir more than most people. I don't know. I'm a huge, huge memoir fan. Um, we love memoir here too. Yeah. And when we teach like our book mapping and a lot of the courses that we do, like memoir shares more in common, of course, with fiction than it does with like prescriptive nonfiction. So yeah. You know, yeah. we actually, we don't really work with fiction writers, but we, because we do a lot of memoir, we still have to talk yeah. a lot about telling a story, you know? Yeah. It's all about, uh, yeah. I find nonfiction, regular nonfiction also very interesting. I mean, I love to mm -hmm. learn and, mm -hmm. um, I do a lot of that on the podcast, not with my publishing company, but I cover right. fiction books. Although there's so many novels that I feel like these authors need so much help that I'm just like doing novel after novel. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but when we look for memoir, you know, it's tough because a lot of times for a memoir, we'll get a proposal without the whole manuscript and it's a risk. We're a small team and uh, we don't have the resources to necessarily like sculpt every word, every sentence. So we really need some proof that we love the way they write or that yeah. it's getting done or whatever. So the more, I know there's all this different advice about this for us, like, to get a fully finished great memoir that we can like run with and need doesn't need as much heavy lifting is amazing um mm. and gets us very excited and uh you know i know a lot of, and sometimes people will say like i took this as far as i could and that's good too you know um like i know it needs some work but i have a whole manuscript that that really helps yeah. um, so i guess we would prefer entire manuscripts for both memoir and fiction um just because you never know. On the other hand, I didn't write my memoir and like someone took a risk on me. Uh, I had written many versions of it, but not the current iteration. So, mm -hmm. um, and we have taken, you know, what, Claire Bidwell-Smith is writing an, a memoir for us. I loved her first book so much. I mean, she's written several books, but she wrote The Rules of Inheritance, which was one of my favorite books. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I'm thinking of writing. Um, yes, do it. Like, <laughs> I haven't seen a thing. I'm like, I don't care what it's about, write it. And um, uh, we did we did do that with a lot of our early writers. Um, Megan Weird and Jarvis, whose book is coming out in December, was in my book club that I started in the pandemic. And one day I was like, you must have a book in you. You're just, I love the way you talk and write. And she's like, no, 
anyway, we like, I like wow. got her to write a book. It's so good. I'm so excited. I feel like this huge sense of pride with this book. Um, and it's good after she had to rewrite it like probably three times, but I remember calling her one day after I read her latest draft and I'm like, Oh my God, you hit it out of the park and we were crying and it was amazing. And so I love that too, you know, and I love telling people like you have a story in you and, um, Alicia, our first memoirist, I read an essay she wrote and at the, in her bio, she had said, I am trying, I'm working on a book and I called her, I was like, I have to read your book. This is going to be so funny. This is going to be so good. Have you written it? And I, you know, so I do take risks like that. A few times in this conversation now, I love that the emotional connection to the writers and the work has come up. Um, I mean, obviously, most of us are in the publishing industry because books move us. But so much about what you hear, especially about traditional publishing, is the marketability, the timeliness, you know, that sort of thing. Not that that isn't important, but I love that so much of what you seem to be talking about is just the emotional connection, your personal connection to it. You even said like you love your authors, which feels validating to me because sometimes people ask me about ghostwriting or how do I choose clients and, you know, that sort of thing. And what I always want to say is I, I write out of love for my clients. Like I love them and it feels a little bit too, like too much, you know, to like say sometimes, but it's just the truth. And anyway, so when it comes to memoir and, and I'm a fiction too, I suppose, but specifically memoir, cause it can be so personal. You know, how do you balance that marketability plus this just deep connection and love that you feel for the material and the writer? Yeah, um, that's a good point. And I know that – and marketability is exciting to me in that I love creative marketing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a book, it's a novel, but it's called Pierce Oysters. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, we could do so much with this. Like o- like oyster pop-ups and da-da-da. Like I love all that stuff. It's so fun. And I was actually just talking to two people on my team before the Zoom being like, wait a minute. Like I'm not even in the creative meeting. That, that is like what I like to do, you know? Like I'm good at that. Let me in the meeting, you know, like. Like, that's the fun part for me. So um, when we're thinking about memoir and marketability, um, well, it's really all books. Like there, it is helpful if there is some hook, but that is not why we acquire them. Um, uh, I think there's always a way in and it's like our job to find it. I guess we don't really acquire based on marketability we acquire and figure out what the most creative fun way to market it um there was one book recently that was all about i was like this would be so fun to market but like the book itself was not perfect you know and i'm like and so we we said no but i'm like that would be so easy to market but and it will and it'll probably do well and someone else will do it um but not us I love this. Wait, this is kind of new. I haven't heard this before about, but I love this idea of acquire, I mean, something good that you like, depending on your tastes, and then find a way in. I mean, this kind of makes me think a little bit of our friend Erica Anderson. She's a freelance writer and teaches people how to um, pitch articles. And she's always like, find a topic that you like, and then find an angle, like find why this is timely, you know, like don't necessarily start with the marketability piece, not that that can't work, but start with what you like and what you're good at, and then find a way to make it, you know, applicable or in your, in what you're talking about, you know, marketable, like find a way in. I love that you said there's always a way in, there's always a way to make this relevant, you know? Yep. So smart. Yeah, that's cool. 
how can you not start with a product you love? You know what I mean? Like, mm. and in terms of the emotion, like I personally am not like, I'm not like a corporate person. Like I had some corporate jobs and I was just like, this makes no sense to me. Like, <laughs> like it's just not the way I operate. You know, I'd like get my work and I'm like, okay, I finished all that in like two hours. Now what, you know, now I have to sit here till five and I get right. like 20 minutes for lunch. What if I, I, I don't know. It's just that whole model of like, super corporate doesn't work. And also this is like a labor of love what I'm doing right now. This is, this whole thing is personal to me. And, um, if I, if I'm not excited and I don't feel passionately about what I'm, what I'm doing, like, why am I doing it? Then Mm -hmm. I should do something else. And I, there, and I'm, I'm very, like we, I am, I love starting things. Like I'm about to start a new magazine that we're like, I love launching things and starting things. Um, but if I have a product that I love, it's like, you have to, like, you, I mean, you have to love it. Mean, it's hard. I guess you don't have to, but for us, we have to, we have to be excited about the product. I think that is definitely something that we see in common with everyone in the publishing industry. And we talked with um, Steven Rubin, you know, the consulting publisher at Simon and Schuster. Yep. And he said something very similar. He was like, you know, yeah, I'm a business guy, but like at the end of the day, it's got to be something I'm passionate about. And those are the books that I'm going to be the most proud of. I'm going to be the most, you know, um, like willing to advocate for. Yeah. And that's, that's what makes it all worth it. So yeah, I totally get that. People, people who listen to my podcast like regularly, and I have some of these like super fans who are adorable mm-hmm. and I love them, but you know, they're like, we can totally tell when you don't love a book. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, people can tell. Yeah, of course. So what have you learned then, um, from opening your bookstore about publishing? So, you know, first of all, I want to say, I'm so excited that it's in Santa Monica. I think it's interesting that you opened it in Santa Monica, even though you live primarily in New York, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'd love to know why there I'm originally from Los Angeles. So I'm like, fantastic. Every time I go home and visit my parents now I can come take a look. I can't wait. Um, but I'm, I'm curious too, what have you learned then at being a bookseller that has changed the way you acquire books as a publisher? It hasn't changed anything, but I've learned so much already. Uh, and it's only been, it hasn't even been two months that it's been open. People really want to read what other people are reading. I think people are looking to share the experience. And so a lot of people come in wanting, you know, the new Reese's uh, Reese's pick or the new, um, you know, Oprah pick or just, it's not because they want, you know, or tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, right? Everyone is coming in. You know, I hear everyone's reading this. So I think there is something about not because, I mean, yes, it's curation. Well, and this is not like rocket science. You know, this isn't like anything probably that revelatory. I mean, we know that people read books that are doing well, but it's not because they're doing well. It's because I really think it's all about wanting to have something to talk to people and connect to people about. Um, so I see a lot of that in the store. Um, Mm -hmm. we have our own book club. Uh, so we're trying to like build community around books we pick and that's been going well. Um, the author events are great and that, you know, the idea that you can meet the author is, is really helping with sales in those of those books. Um, but people are really open. I mean, the way we have, like, we'll have a shelf, you know, books for the music lover and we have like 10 books and someone comes in like, 
you know, what are you looking for? And they don't know what they're looking for, but we find out, oh, like I'm a musician. Oh, well, we have the shelf down here. Take a peek. And then they're like, oh, well, this is cool. So, um, you know, I think people are really receptive to our deep knowledge of all the material in the store. Mm-hmm. Um, but how it changes things as a publisher, um, I think it's just reinforced what I know already, like sort of proves the concept, but I'm learning a lot. Yeah. I'm also learning a lot about why other, what other bookstores are buying and why, and, uh, how to, how to, you know, there's a lot with like the distributor and this and that, like, it's not even, it's like, you know, how to upload your order, like just little things like that, that I'm like, I wonder if I could make this a little easier. I don't know. I'm like always like trying to tinker with things. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about, I'm so interested in this categorization that you talked about sort of at the top of the podcast about in your bookstore, like, um, you know, books that might help like make you feel a certain way or something like that. That is so interesting to me because I'm, I'm exclusively write nonfiction. So because of that, I mostly read nonfiction, but I've recently been getting back into fiction, but I've learned that it's kind of hard to pick a fiction book, like harder than nonfiction, because nonfiction is mostly like Jack copy is pretty clear what it's going to be, you know, fiction, like it gives you a synopsis, but I'm more interested in because I'm like in this time of my life where I, I don't want to like feel sad. Like I really want something that's just going to make me feel joyful and happy. And how can I like ensure that a fiction book is going to take me there and not like surprise me with some sad turn that I know isn't going to be on a jacket copy, you know, something Mm. like that. So how, tell, tell me about like this emotional categorization of the books and how you steer people towards what they want in your bookstore. Oh, well, I don't know if I can guarantee no bad twists. Um, (laughs) Well, Well, you don't have to, you don't have to be my personal book Sherpa, but (laughs) we, uh, no, I would love to, I could probably pick you a book. um, We mix fiction and nonfiction in all of our shelves. So we don't have a fiction and nonfiction section. Um, Everything is interwoven by like what you're looking for. Cause I don't think people think that way. I don't think people think in terms of, I need a novel. I need this. It's like, I want to feel this way. I want to experience, I want to escape. I need a beach read. Like, but maybe yeah. the beach read is a memoir. Maybe the beach read is, you know, some really interesting thing about, I don't know, something else. So, um, so yeah, so we do a couple of different ways of curation. We have uh, 10 authors who have curated their own shelves of their top 10 books. So if you're looking to know what, you know, Katie Couric's top 10 books are this month, you know, you can get one of her picks. We also have the book club picks from other big book clubs. We have, um, books by emotion. So books that make you tremble, books that make you laugh, books that make you cry. Then we have by identity. So we have like a um, LGBTQ shelf and all of that. So that's a whole vertical. And then we had an extra shelf and I was like, can we put in a shelf like for the anxious? Because like, that's how I identify as anxious. <laughs> so we had this like whole funny shelf, of, you know, again, a mix of like fiction and memoir and stuff like that. So, um, oh, uh, so we have that, then we have books, um, by top, we have some of the Zibby books, published books and the books they recommend. We have books that I recommend on GMA each month. So their shelves are always changing. We have, um, books by so I do a lot of roundups for like I go on TV and I'm like you know there's they're like it's Mother's Day books for the best friend books for this so I was like we'll just do that so we have like books for the best friend books for um the Valentine books for and those are all love stories but it could be across genres um books for the knowledge hunter for the traveler for the um you know all all 
types of books like that. Um, and then our new, we have some new releases and then we have books we have events coming with. And then we also have YA and middle grade and children's books. And, um, now we're going to start doing like what's on the podcast this week, uh, as, and then people can listen to the podcast and buy the book. And so I don't know. I just feel like why not try it a different way? Yeah. Well, it seems like this, you know, there's this theme of innovation in everything that you do. And I am like, I'm so grateful that you're applying that innovative spirit to the publishing industry, because I think we desperately need it in all of these various facets. So that's very cool. It's also just great advice for authors, right? Like, how can we take something that we feel like there's this, there's these formulas and listen, I teach a lot of like, these are the common ways that you do things, but you should always come to it with this innovative spirit of how can I make it stand out? How can I make it different? Why don't we try it a different way and capture that, you know, that emotional, um, interest from people in some way. So do you have any advice, just like general advice off the cuff for authors specifically who want to write memoir, but just in general for authors who, um, hope to be in a bookstore like yours someday? Um, well, one thing I would say is, to look at your relationship with the publisher as a partnership and not something where you're just waiting for them to hand things out to you. Um, Publishers are working really hard. I know this now (laughs) intimately, uh, but so hard on so many things, but you will love your book more than anybody, you know, and I feel like this with my own books, but you, the more you can come to the table, and I don't mean by having a big platform on Instagram, I mean, I'm sure that helps, but it's not, that's not what I mean. What I mean is you need to like think of your book as your product that you are marketing and how are you going to help? What are you bringing to the table? If you want to share that with the, and if you want to share that with the publisher, if you're pitching a book or something, great. But, but this is even after you sell the book, like you can't give up and just say like, well, my publisher's doing nothing. They might, you might feel that way. And maybe your publisher is doing nothing. I doubt it. But, um, but instead of just having that be the script, say like, well, what am I, do- what can I do and how am I working my hardest to market my book? Um, the publisher is my partner in this, but like I need to pull my weight too. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not a marketer, that- it doesn't matter. You have ways that you can be creative with your book. You know your book backwards and forwards. You've thought about it incessantly. Use all of that thought and energy to figuring out how to get it in people's hands even if it's giving it away at certain events or whatever, where can you, what can you do? And that's okay. It doesn't mean your publisher's not a good publisher. It doesn't mean your publisher is not doing their job. They are doing their job. And, but you can, the more you also help, the better your book will do. So, you know, I would say pull your weight. Yeah, that's really good advice. And, um, yeah, and I don't think a lot of, especially I'm first-time authors, um, think about it that way. Even when they're when they're um, like querying or submitting proposals, looking for representation, there can be this attitude of like, please, you know, like pick me, make my dreams come true. Which you know, sometimes, like, that's great. Publishers can help you do that, but you have more agency than you think. You know, in that. Um, in that process and yeah, to think of it as a partnership and you're bringing a lot to the table too. They don't hold all the the cards. They aren't like the gatekeepers to everything that you want. Like you 
have more power. Um, yeah. In that relationship, I think. So last question, Zibi, what books have left a lasting impression on you? And like, what books are the ones that, you know, we can limit it to like maybe five or so, uh, what books are you like? Everyone needs to read these books. Oh God. Um, <laughs> I should have a list of five, I guess I should do that. Um, because whenever I'm talking about a book, then I'm like, oh, I should think of that when next time somebody asks me what I'm reading. Um, five books everyone should read. Oh, you know, Bookends by Zibby Owens would be, um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, um, go ahead. Plug yeah. your own stuff. No, no, yeah. no. Well, it's okay. really good. No. Um, I'm struggling with that question, but I'm always recommending different books. Um, I think the five books everyone should read are the five books they've loved the most and they should go back and reread them. Ooh, I like that answer. Yeah, I know. I, I love anyone who promotes rereading because I'm a big rereader and I think sometimes people think, why would you do that? I'm a big rewatcher too. Um, so yeah, great advice. All right. Well, thank you so much, Zivi. This has been amazing. And um, we're just so excited, grateful for your time and obviously just grateful for what you're doing in the industry. So I know that authors and readers appreciate it as well. Thank you. Thanks for being part of the Hungry Authors community. If you like this episode, could you do us a huge favor? Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at hungryauthors or hungryauthors.com, our website, to get more information about our masterclasses and upcoming episodes. Remember that you have a story and a message worth publishing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen. Mm -hmm.